Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our Streaming Science podcast series. I'm your host for the day, Katherine Jones. I am a junior agriculture and environmental sciences communications major from Bellevue, Nebraska. Thank you for listening to our Streaming Science podcast series. Streaming Science is a student-driven science literacy program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Through our multimedia platform, we connect our audiences with scientists and scientific concepts that can enrich your everyday life. Today, our podcast is digging deeper into what big data means. To me, big data can seem intimidating and maybe kind of vague. I like to think of big data as a large collection of statistics, whether that be numbers or themes, that need to be composed, cataloged, and stored to later reference to make great discoveries. We will visit with Carrie Brown, the one who helps manage all of the big data collected for the University of Nebraska. Carrie Brown acts as an assistant to many of the researchers collecting big data. This means she is able to adapt to the different studies that deal with big data and work with various scientists to store the data and make it meaningful. Carrie, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, well, you covered the basics. My name is <laughs> Carrie Brown, and I am the Outreach and Training Specialist for the Holland Computing Center, which is the high-performance computing core for the University of Nebraska as a whole. Um, so we specialize very much so in big data, uh, very large computational projects, and pretty much anything that you can't run on your laptop or desktop. Uh, I started out, um, my background is in biochemistry, actually, and as a graduate student, I began working with bioinformatics, and that's when I fell in love with and gained the skills I needed to to start working with big data. That's exciting. So do you want to share with our audience kind of your personal background and how, you know, where you're from and how you ended up? here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and in your position? Um, Absolutely. Uh, So I was born and raised here in Nebraska in Omaha and I was kind of uh, late going into my career. I started undergraduate as a 26 year old, so a little bit later than a lot of typical students, but I got my undergraduate degree up at Wayne State in Wayne, Nebraska, and then went on to do graduate studies at the University of South Dakota and eventually here at UNL, which is how I ended up here in Lincoln. And then I got this job with HCC, uh, and it used the skills I had already gained and allowed me to have a position where I stayed working with what I love and continue to build even more skills. So, Is there anything along that journey that was your pivoting point that pushed you to move forward or gave you kind of the reason to wake up in the morning? So it was a bunch of small little incidences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one was I just i have always loved mathematics. And so even as an undergrad, I kept my mathematical studies going and actually when I first started grad school, it was in a a master's in mathematics program. So that was something that really led me to the computational aspect. The other aspect was when I was an undergraduate, I was gung-ho, I was gonna get my degree in biochemistry, and then I took biochemistry and I hated it. (laughs) I did not like it very much. Um, (laughs) It was very much alphabet soup, we like to call it. Lots of acronyms and memorization of pathways, and it just didn't fit into my nice little computational mind. But luckily I discovered bioinformatics was a growing aspect of biological research. And I really liked genetics. And so that seemed like a really good fit for me. And so I moved into grad school and started up research and started working with microbiome samples um, on a very large data set, had 944 samples. Knowing what I know now, it wasn't a very large data set, you know, only three gigabytes. But now that's, you know, at the time for me, that was huge. It was a struggle trying to figure out how to handle that. And I had to learn a lot of new skills that a bachelor's degree in chemistry didn't provide me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And 
I had fun. It tapped into a passion that I had growing up with programming. And so I was able to incorporate skills that I thought were going to just be obsolete in my life in a new way, in a field that I hadn't expected. And that's what I really enjoyed and loved. Wow. Well, I can tell. It's full of passion when you talk about it. (laughs) So I'm sure that rubs off on everybody here in the office and in the center. So I guess, how does this center function? Um, We are very much a team um, because especially with working with big data, a lot of our staff aren't computer scientists. So a lot of our application specialists have backgrounds in physics and chemistry and those sorts of applied sciences versus, you know, computing. And so we kind of make two halves of a whole here in that respect. So we have the IC, the technical side, and then we have more of the research computing side, and we work together in order to deliver the whole package to the researchers here. The benefit of having these applied sciences researchers is that they understand computing from a user perspective, from a researcher perspective. And so they're able to use that to help researchers who would otherwise be overwhelmed with the process that we do here. My role here is kind of the outward facing aspect of that. I try to gauge what needs the university has as a whole as far as education, so through our tutorials or our workshops, but also what type of research questions are starting to come up. A lot of times our users don't know we exist until they need us. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out who can use our services and who's out there who needs our services is a challenge and then getting the word out to those people so basically finding people who don't know they need us either (laughs) so reaching scientists and researchers who are surrounded by big data but don't know that they need your help kind of working with all of it exactly exactly a lot of them are used to running their analysis on their pc and if it gets slow and lagged down they just assume that that's just part of the process and they have to deal with it. And the one thing we would like to tell them is, no, if it's eating up your computer or if it's just taking too long, then that's what we're here for. We're here to help you out with that and to take that sort of load you know, off your shoulders, off of your personal PC and let you do your work more efficiently and quickly. So it's not always just yelling at your computer for being slow. There could be a real reason why you've got the spinning wheel of that. Exactly, exactly. So just probably not enough resources. I gotcha. Okay, so big data, that's our topic of the day. And we've uh, kind of neglected to tell our audience what big data is. So what is your big uh, data definition? We at HCC, we don't really like the term big data. And the reason is, is because it's a very vague term and nobody really knows what it means. We like to throw it around a lot, but you know, what is big? Is it a gigabyte data set? Is it a terabyte data set? Is it a petabyte data set? Where's that cutoff? And the fact is that the cutoff moves based off of the technology that's available to you and to us. And so we define it as big data is anything that is too big for your PC or your laptop. So if you're hitting that point where you're getting that spinning wheel of death, that's an indication that you're probably working with big data. Okay. And so as we move forward in life and into the future, how do you see big data? Do you see it shifting from researchers and scientists to consumers or kind of just, you know, your average daily life? Do you see big data moving and becoming more apparent and prominent in just society in general? Oh, absolutely. I think we can see that evidence. If you've ever shopped for anything on Google and then suddenly saw ads for it for the next week in Facebook and every other site you visit, that is an example of how big data is being used in business and to lure you in as a consumer. 
I think the biggest shift we're seeing right now is the prominence of big data in the medical profession. That's something that's being adopted more and more is this whole health approach where we're taking in all of your various data to deliver what they call precision medicine. Another aspect of big data that is kind of just starting to take hold is the user uh, individuals themselves using their own data stores to track certain things in their lives, whether their diet inflects their mood or, you know, certain metrics like that. Like how many steps you take a day or Exactly. So, you know, with the, you know, your personal devices, your Fitbit, well, you can mm-hmm. also start logging your mood every day on your phone, and now you can start looking at correlations between those two things. So that's really where we see the biggest growth is in this sort of micro scale applications where individuals are starting to tap into their own data. But yes, it's definitely moved on beyond research. It's no longer limited to just physics and chemistry, you know, simulations and analytics. We're now seeing it in business and we're seeing it in psychology and sociology, which are fields that haven't mm-hmm. traditionally used those applications. Wow. It seems crazy to me that so much can be stored and analyzed and, and kept. It's hard to wrap your mind around. How do you view storage and how does storage work of all of that big data here in your center? That's a great question. And it's one that we actually, we wrestle with a lot because there is, as a whole, we really don't have an answer for how are we going to store and maintain and curate all of this data moving forward. In the sciences, there's definitely a push to publish and make your data publicly available and to keep it curated long-term and trying to establish standards and guidelines that will allow that to happen easier for researchers who hadn't previously had to deal with these large data sets because the era of, of sending hard drives or thumb drives is long since over and should be never done again. <laughs> is that kind of like the floppy disk that's like in the past? You know, exactly, exactly. You don't, you don't want to risk your data like that, mm-hmm. especially with so many cloud-based services available. Mm-hmm. It's silly. And so us here, we have a couple of different storage options that we give our users that range uh, anywhere from extremely backed up, you know, multiple locations to something that isn't backed up at all, but has uh, greater response time with our clusters. And so they can pick the solution that fits better along that spectrum for them. Mainly you're working with scientists and researchers as your audience and mm-hmm. outreach. Do you host other workshops or programs and kind of try and reach a new audience? Yes. Uh, so we do, m- majority of our workshops are attended by researchers. Uh, at the University of Nebraska, but we do get industry individuals that show up quite frequently because a lot of the topics that we cover are things that are of interest to them, whether it's you know basic big data analysis. And then we recently just did a bioinformatics workshop that was extremely successful that was very popular with our biologists and engineers. It just depends on where the demand is. All these improvements you're talking about, what is the largest improvement you have seen in your career field since you've really been a part of it? Well, I feel like I'm still fairly new to the scene. And so to me, everything seems new and exciting. And I really couldn't differentiate between one aspect to another. What has impacted me personally are these pushes to shift this sort of cluster computing environment from a command line environment to something that's more graphical user interface environment, which I think will be a huge benefit to all of these researchers now that they don't know how to use a command line environment and they really like to point and click on everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
lots of improvements. You're impressed by all of that. Yes. What about projects or uniqueness? Has there been a project you've worked on that was just super unique or out of this world and you're like, wow, that's so cool they're collecting data on that? Or is there anything that like sticks out in your mind that, that way? There's so many, and I've heard of so many. Um, so this summer, I got the privilege of traveling to a couple of uh, boot camp user schools, mm-hmm. and I got to meet a variety of people from different fields. And to me, the most fascinating thing is how they're applying it in psychology and sociology. I'm sure, they all come with their own challenges and different uniqueness to each of them. So, what is the biggest challenge you run into? working with researchers in different areas and data collection in general? I think the biggest problem or issues that we run into majority of the time is just how to do it. So a lot of times you're dealing with data that people haven't previously messed with or dealt with before, at least not together. Like I'm saying, you have all these different disjoint data sources. Mm -hmm. And so getting them to tie together can sometimes be a really big challenge. Um, Another big challenge is, especially for a lot of these fields, there's no real standardized software yet. So everybody is either developing their own tools or you just get so many different tools that you're not really sure what to use or which one's better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one thing we'll start to see happen is that these tools will start to streamline and standardize a little bit, which will help not only the researchers, but just the speed at which we can get things done. I guess in your everyday life, how do you see big data like impacting you? Like it keeps you going every day. You absolutely love your job. Is that is that true? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do love my job. I I like to see new applications of it. It's really neat when someone comes up to me and says, "I'm thinking about doing this," and you're like, "Oh, that's great! I never thought of that that way. That's really neat." Or you'll see like some sort of marketing thing. So for instance, I stumbled over an ad the other day. No, my daughter received a mailing from a college. It was from a military college, which was odd. So we're at that point where we're getting all sorts of strange letters from colleges all over because Uh we're just at that age group. But the military one struck me as strange because we had previously discussed with her possibly going a military route with her career. But we hadn't signed up or expressed any interest directly to these companies. And so for me, it was it was an indication that they really were able to pinpoint us based off of what other information they have. That it's crazy. It was, yes, it, it really was. <laughs> I guess people get skeptical about that and, you know, how much a, a laptop or technology knows about you and how it's convenient that your phone knows you take the same route home every day and will warn you about traffic, but to some it makes you nervous and skeptical about how much does technology know about me. What is your thoughts or views on that? So that's kind of interesting, especially in light of the recent Facebook Cambridge Analytics, I think is what it was, and that whole scandal going on. I, I was raised by a mom who was very cautious. She would shred everything and would not give her phone numbers out to the grocery stores and was just very, very, very skeptical of this sort of data collection on us. And then I've gone to school with people who are very much the opposite, who are like, they can have as much data about me as they want. I love big data. I want to help, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's been neat to see the, the spectrum there. For me personally, I do get a little nervous, especially with the recent Facebook stuff. You, you worry a little bit because you don't know, like there's been studies done that they can pinpoint certain characteristics about you based off of very benign markers. Mm-hmm. 
And so you, you do worry a little bit about what may be stored out there and how it might possibly be used against you in the future. And I think that that is a problem that we are struggling with as a civilization to answer is, where's the limit? How far should we let companies keep our data? How long should it last? How much should we trust these analytics that say, oh, well, this person is this particular trait or leans this way politically based off of their search history? Mm-hmm. And until we answer those questions, it's kind of a gray area and we're just going to kind of see how things yeah. go. Hope people keep critically thinking and being open-minded about the situation, right? Exactly. Well, I guess that's all I have for you today to talk about big data. Is there anything else that you would like to add or let our audience know about you or your job? No, um, the biggest thing we just always want to get out there is that if you have a research question that involves any sort of computation and you're not really sure where to start, we have dedicated staff that will be happy to meet with you and talk to you about how you might run it on our systems or if it doesn't fit for our systems, how you can use one of the partners that we work with um, and just we, we want to help out. So okay. definitely reach out if you have any questions. Sounds fantastic. Thank you for visiting with me and our audience, Carrie. It was great to get to know you and hear your story. To learn more about what is happening on UNL's campus and other science advances, follow Streaming Science on Twitter at streaming underscore sci. Have a great day, everyone, and look forward to the next podcast in this series.